Good afternoon. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with you. Uh, so thank you for, for having me. This afternoon, we are going to continue in the Gospel of Luke. And it's Palm Sunday, but what the passage we're looking at in Luke chapter 9 actually marks a moment in Luke's story where Jesus begins, right after this, Jesus begins to head towards Jerusalem. So on, good, on uh, Palm Sunday, he enters Jerusalem. We're going to, right after this, are his first steps. He heads that direction. But today, we are going to look at one of Jesus's most well-known miracles. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And it's a story where Jesus's disciples feel like we feel often. They feel overwhelmed and under-resourced. Overwhelmed and under-resourced. And those two things seem to be combined in our lives a lot, right? We have a big problem, and it seems like we have small resources to fix that problem. We have a big task. We have a big challenge. We have a big issue. And then we look at what we have to address that issue. And it's like, I just doesn't feel like I have enough. I was talking to my staff this week about this, and one of our staff members, her name is Cameron, she's our worship leader, she told me a story of a time she felt this way. She said, I, I grew up in Florida, and I grew up in the same town as Derrick Henry. Anybody know Derrick Henry? Of course you do. Okay, Derrick Henry is an NFL player. He is one of the, the best running backs in the league. He's one of the most feared running backs in the NFL. In fact, he's known for having this like superhuman-like strength and speed, right? He'll just plow you over. In fact, after the service, just Google highlights and they're basically him running over elite athletes. And so Cameron says, you know, one time when I was a, a girl, I was trying out for a co-ed baseball team. And I show up to the tryout, and I'm really excited to play on this team, and I can't wait to try out. She's actually a, quite a good athlete herself. She's about this high, though, but good, a good athlete. And so she, she says for her position, she goes out to, to, you know, do her thing and show the coach what she's got. But for her position, she is going up against Derrick Henry. And just for some context, this is Derrick Henry. And just for some more context, this also is Derrick Henry. That's him trucking an elite athlete. So she's like, this is just not fair. Like, of all the people I could be going up against, why, like, why do I have a Derrick Henry-sized problem? Like everyone else seems to have normal sized problems, but my problems look like Derrick Henry. The resources I have aren't matching the challenge that I'm up against. And what we're gonna see in the Gospel of Luke this afternoon is that the disciples find themselves in this moment, overwhelmed, under-resourced. So the questions I wanna ask today is what is Jesus trying to teach his disciples when they are overwhelmed and under-resourced? And what is he trying to teach us when we feel that same way today? So if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter nine. We're gonna begin in verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. 
And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Okay, let's pause for a moment. Here is what's happening. The disciples have just been sent out by Jesus on mission. So he gathered the disciples and he said, okay, you're going to scatter out and I have work for you to do. So they've all gone out and, do, and done their thing and they've come back and they are tired. And so Jesus said, okay, let's get you away from all the towns and the people. We're going to get move you to a desolate place and we're going to rest. But... Someone from the crowd gets word of where Jesus is, so they're supposed to be resting, but all of a sudden the crowd comes out to where they are. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. You see, the disciples have a really bad habit of trying to give Jesus advice when he doesn't need it. Jesus, I mean, bless your heart. I know you're always trying to help people and you love everybody and you want to teach everybody and you got a great heart, Jesus, but the people are hungry and we are broke and we are in a desolate place. Jesus, what you should do is just send all the people home and furthermore, we're tired, Jesus, and we're a little hungry ourselves. Verse 13, he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And I love the disciples' response here. Remember, at this point in the disciples' story, they have seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They have been following Jesus for a while. They know what he's capable of. So you would expect the disciples, maybe this is what I would expect the disciples, like these are the, the, the closest followers of Jesus, to say something like, well, Jesus, I mean, I don't really see how there's a way to do this, but... I trust that you can do it. But that's not what they say. The disciples essentially say, Jesus, we don't have the time. Jesus, we don't have the money. Jesus, we don't have the food. Jesus, we need to send them away. And there had to be a logistics guy in the disciples' team. Like every group has a logistics guy. And I can imagine the wheels turning in his mind when Jesus looks at him and says, you feed them. And he's thinking, huh, okay, uh, let me get this straight. We have five loaves and two fish. And according to my records, we are yet, we're broke and we can't buy food and According to my estimation, there's about 5,000 at least people here who are desperately hungry and getting angry. So according to my calculations, Jesus, we are about 4,999 meals short. If only we had like a miracle worker. Oh well, not going to happen. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So in this passage, yes, we have Jesus doing a, a remarkable miracle for the masses. 
But in fact, Jesus is wanting to do something in the hearts and lives of his disciples at the very same moment. These disciples who are overwhelmed and under-resourced in a moment where Jesus is asking them to do something that they don't feel like they have enough to do, in this passage, Jesus is going to invite them to trust him, to follow him, to know him in four ways. And I think that he invites us to the same thing this afternoon. If you are one today feeling overwhelmed, under-resourced, I want you to hear four invitations from Jesus to you today. The first invitation, there's an invitation to trust Jesus as provider. And if you would allow me just to state the most obvious point in this text, the people were, were hungry and Jesus provided bread for them. Jesus came through in their moment of need. And more than that, more than just giving us what we need, he delights in being that type of father to us, that type of shepherd who provides for us, who leads us by the still water and the green pastures. He doesn't just give us what we need. He delights in giving us what we need. It's different. Think about the psalmist who said, where does my help come from? Look to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The question for us this afternoon is, will we trust him? Will we go to him in our moment of need and trust him as provider? Or will we, because of our self-sufficiency, try to do it ourselves? Again and again and over and over and over, frustratingly do it ourselves? Or will we trust God to provide? I was reminded this week of a story about a guy named George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s and he ran a whole series, a whole operation of orphanages. So he cared for over uh, thousands of orphans in London. And he had this principle where he, he was so convinced that Jesus was his provider that he wouldn't ask anybody for a dime, but he lived off, the orphanage lived off donations. And there was this one moment where he had 300 kids in one location and they ran out of food. So the house mother comes to him and she says, hey, it's, it's the morning time. We have no food for breakfast. What do you want me to do? And so he says, have all the kids sit down. They sit down in the dining room and he says a prayer of thanks and a, a, a prayer of blessing for the food that is not there and just ask God to provide. And the, as the story goes, there's a knock on the door and at that very moment, the baker, the local baker shows up. He goes, this is odd, I know, but I've been awake all night. You have been on my mind. I can't get it out of my mind. I couldn't sleep. I made three uh, batches of bread. Could you use it? And he's like, well, actually, we could use it. Thank you very much. Jesus came through as provider. You say, well, that was the 1800s. I mean, and that's, those stories get twisted and stretched. I mean, who knows what really happened? Well, I'll tell you another story. Well, uh, a year after I graduated from college, I was working at a boarding school that was a Christian ministry, and it, it housed kids whose parents were either incarcerated or addicted to, struggling with addiction to drugs. And so the kids would come for a semester or for a year, but they, like Mueller, lived off donations, and they lived, man, like day to day by faith. 
and there was outside the building a large freezer. And it was just kind of awkwardly in the entranceway. And then one day I was like really fed up like walking around this weird freezer. And so I asked the director, I was like, hey, um, tell me why we have this large freezer right here. And she laughed, she was probably in her 70s, gray-haired lady, had been doing this for a long time. And she said, well, funny you should ask, this is a, a beautiful story of Jesus being our provider. She says, one time we had a lot of kids in our school and we were under-resourced. We didn't have what we need. We were struggling to get by and we were struggling with food. And one night we get a knock on the door and there's a, a whole truck full of food. And the guy's like, hey, do you need food? She's like, yes. Okay, here's the catch. If you don't eat it tonight, it's all going to go to waste if you don't have a freezer or refrigerator. And she's like, well, we don't have a, like, a freezer or refrigerator big enough to house like a, a whole truck of food, but we'll take it. So he drops off the food on, on the porch and they go back and they pray. God, we need a freezer now. It seems like you've given us food, but now we need a fridge or a freezer, please. And you're like, can God do that? And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. When a couple of hours later, there's another knock on the door. There's a guy, this is a true story, by the way. There's a guy who, who came in and he goes, hey, I know this is odd. I have a broken freezer um, that I just need to really offload. I don't want it anymore. I would love to just drop it off. I think it could be fixed. And so they bring it onto the porch right in the entryway. They plug it in and lo and behold, the freezer works. And they throw all the food in the freezer and the kids are fed. And she's like, yeah, this freezer right here and awkwardly in the entranceway is a sign, a picture, a marker. Jesus, our provider. And the truth is he delights in doing that for us. And it won't always, I know those were like big dramatic stories. But the truth is when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread our daily bread. What are you trusting God to provide for you daily? You might say, hey, I don't need food or a big industrial freezer, but I could use some patience with my kids. Man, I got this need at work that I could use God's strength and grace. I need God to come through for me in this or in that with my job, with my house, with my family. And he says, would you trust me for your daily bread. He delights in giving it. It's who he is, our provider, our father, our good shepherd. Second, there's an invitation here to join Jesus in his work in the world. To join Jesus in his work in the world. Um, I want you to notice in this passage something very interesting. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to join him in this work. So, Verse 13, he said to them, you give them something to eat. Of course, they say, um, no, we can't. And so he says, okay, verse 16, he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. So now he's saying, okay, maybe you can't feed them. Okay, you organize them. And so they do it, do that. Verse 16, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So say, okay, maybe you couldn't provide the food, but then you organized the people and then you distributed the, the food. But do you see the length that Jesus is going to get his people involved here? It's funny, when my kids, I have four kids, 
And when they leave the city and they go to a rural area, they're often baffled about one thing. I mean, there's lots of things they're kind of like looking around like, this is kind of nice. I love all the trees and the grass and the thing. But hey, what do people do when they're hungry? A, I mean, they're baffled by the thought like, what if there's like a hunger emergency and they can't run to the bodega? And I had to like, we had this conversation like a month ago. And I was like, um, okay, kids, uh, did you know that there are many, many people in the world who actually do not live down the block from a bodega? And guess what? God apparently meets their needs in other ways. And they're like, and my mind is blown. In this passage, how does Jesus meet the people's need? Well, he intends to do it through his disciples. And this is such a beautiful principle. There is a need, and then you have the great power of God, but in the middle, you have the disciples. So it was God's power, God's miracle coming through the disciples to meet the need. And that's the way the church, that's the way disciples of Jesus, that's the way God's people are meant to function in the world. Very rarely does God zap our problems. We pray, and most of the time our prayers are something like God zap my problems, like just fix it. Typically, he doesn't zap us from heaven. Typically, he sends a person, one of his, a disciple. Like maybe you were in a moment of need and you've experienced this. God sent somebody just to be generous to you. They provided for you. Maybe you were having a spiritual need. Someone came and prayed for you. Maybe you were lonely and someone came alongside and was a friend. Maybe you were making some bad choices. Someone came along and said, hey, let me remind you of what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. You see, the metaphor used in the scriptures to explain the church is a body. Jesus is the head. We are the body. And think about the way your body works. Like if your left elbow itches, your brain doesn't like zap your elbow and be like, stop itching. No, your brain, your head, tells your right hand to itch your left elbow, right? Your, your brain zaps, some of you are like, no, my brain zaps it, I think. Like when your left leg is hurt, right, your brain's going to tell your right leg, okay, you're going to have to take some additional weight for now. The left leg is healing, and that's the way it functions in the kingdom of God. He often is going to send a person, which is good news for us. It means two things. When you are in a moment of need, you should look around. Yes, pray for God to work, and then look around for how he's providing people to meet your need. But another thing is true. He might, you might be the person that God is using to meet someone else's need. Look around. You're here on Sunday not just to sing, not just to listen to a sermon. You're here as a body. And who is in need of prayer today? Who is in need of encouragement? Who is in need of a word? Who is in need of an arm around the shoulder and a hug? Who is God going to call you to serve today? Because that's the way it's work. It's his power through you to the need. There's an invitation. Third, we see there's, a, there's an invitation to give Jesus what we have. 
verse 16. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Notice in this passage how specific the author is in telling us what the disciples had. It wasn't like, Jesus, we barely have anything. And he's like, hey, all we have is five loaves and two fish. That's embarrassing. Like when Jesus is calling you to feed a multitude, 5,000 people, and you show up with a lunchbox. And it's like, okay, um, Jesus, this is all I got. Five loaves and two fish. And you're like, oh, I don't like feeling that inadequacy. I don't like being that weak. I like to have my stuff together. I like to be the one on top of things. But here I got five loaves and two fish, Jesus. But what he does, and we've seen this all through the Gospel of Luke, he takes our need, he takes our weakness, he takes the five loaves and the two fish. He's like, no, he doesn't shame us. He's not like, whoa, rough week, huh? No, he takes what we have given to him in faith and he multiplies it. He takes our weakness and he's like, I can do something with that. That's real. I can do something with that. It reminds me of the widow's might. Remember that story? All right, stay with me here. The widow's might. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Jesus tells a story. There was a, there was a uh, Pharisee, there was a religious leader. He walks to the front of the room. He drops a large check in the offering bucket. And he's like, you guys see me? You see what I just did? Paying the temple's bills right here. Temple roof, temple expansion, temple needs. We're going to hire additional temple staff. There you go. And Jesus is like, not impressed. Not impressed one bit. Don't care, actually. But you know what? I did notice a lady in the back. Now, her, I'm impressed with. She gave two half pennies into the offering. But her gift represented all that she had. It represented faith. It represented sacrifice. It represented love. And I'm the God of the universe. I don't need large checks. I do what I want. So what I want to do is use the faith or the weakness, the little, and I want to multiply it for the glory of God and the furtherance of the kingdom of God so that Jesus gets the glory, not the dude at the front with the check. And when we bring our strength to God, we often want to get patted on the back. But when we bring our weakness to God and he uses it and he multiplies it and he blesses it, all of a sudden he gets the glory and you're like, whoa, God, I cannot believe you took that. I mean, my lunchbox and you fed the multitude. You are so good. You're so gracious. You're so kind. You're so powerful. And it's one of the beautiful principles we see in the scriptures. What God requires, he provides. And some of us have been taught in church that we should bring strength to God. Like God like really needs us buttoned up, acting a certain way. Like we got to get our stuff together because that's what God wants. 
but that's not really the paradigm we see in scripture. Yes, he'll take your strength. So you're, you, you are good at things. And God will take that. But the paradigm we see in scriptures is that typically we, he takes our weakness. He'll put you in places of weakness. And you're like, why'd you put me here? This makes no sense. I'm not good at this. And he blesses it. It reminds me of what Mother Teresa once said. She said, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Small things. Things the world would say, oh, the two mites. Oh, five loaves and two fish. Ugh. Yeah, but small things done with great love have extraordinary power in the kingdom of God because they are endowed with the power of God. So where do you feel inadequate? Where do you feel like you're lacking? Where do you feel like you don't have nearly enough? Would you just today give it to Christ? Would you be willing to offer that up to Christ? You're like, God, this is embarrassing, but this is all I have. Watch him work through you. I love the way the hymn says it. Take my life, let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my life, God. Yeah, I know it looks like a bit of a train wreck right now. I've been working on it, but man, it's really not pretty at the moment. God, but take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It's all yours, God. Finally, there's an invitation to experience Jesus as the true bread. Verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. What was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This was not a snack. This was a feast. Jesus took their five loaves and two feasts and two, yeah, what? And he made a feast out of it. Everyone left full. Everyone left satisfied, the text tells us. And here is what Jesus is doing. This is the point of the text. It's, a, it's remarkable. Yes, Jesus was showing his power and feeding the 5,000s, but he was trying to show the disciples something about who he is and how we should relate to him. This idea of bread is a reoccurring theme in the scriptures. Right, we should be reading this and the alarm bells in our minds should be going off. We should be like, whoa, like this reminds me of the time, another time in scripture where God's people were in a desolate place hungry. Right, right when they came out of Egypt, that God had just freed them and they were in the wilderness and they were hungry and God sent manna from heaven, like little crackers and he fed them. And it was as if God was saying, I am with you even here in this wilderness. And then we fast forward in the story and we get to the life of Jesus and the first temptation. What do we have? We have Jesus in a desolate place, hungry. And remember, Satan's like, hey, Jesus, take the rock, turn it into bread. Jesus, why don't you bypass the way of God and do it yourself? Jesus, why don't you bypass God's timing and do this your way? And Jesus, of course, says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I'll trust my father for bread. Thank you very much. 
Fast forward a little more in the story. Jesus is giving his famous prayer. Teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, guys, I need you to pray this daily. Give us each day our daily bread. Daily bread. You know, I, I, that prayer frustrates me. Because I want to ask Jesus for my monthly bread. Like, Jesus, could you just give me bread for the month, maybe the semester, quarter one? Can I get bread for quarter one? Can I get bread for the whole year? And no, 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 he's like, no, I need you to ask me daily for bread because I'm teaching you to rely upon me. The best thing for you is not to have a full stocked pantry. The best thing for you is to have a full stocked heart. For you to have, to be bubbling up with trust and love and devotion for Christ. And you know how you get that? by trusting me with daily bread. Then we fast forward more into the story and we get to the one miracle, which we're talking about today, the one miracle that is recorded in all four gospels, the only one apart from the resurrection. And it's as if there's a point trying to be made. What's this miracle about, by the way? Bread, right? So bread. And we start to think like, when? There's so many, like, themes here. There's so many stories about God providing bread. What is he doing? Maybe he's up to something. And fast forward a little bit more in the story. Jesus, in the last few days of his life, he's sitting down celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and what does he do? He did the same thing that he did for the 5,000. He took a loaf of bread he blessed it, he broke it, and he began handing it out to his disciples. And he said to them, verse 19 in Luke 22, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the bread and all of a sudden all these stories begin to make sense. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is actually my body broken for you. And you're like, whoa. The ultimate point of this story is not that Jesus provided the bread for life. It is that Jesus is the bread of life. All these stories are pointing us to something deeper that in fact, Jesus himself is the bread that we need. And Jesus himself, his body was broken open for us to feast. His body would be broken on the cross. And by trusting in him, we can finally be satisfied. So what does this mean for us today? Well, first, if you are in here today and you're one of those who hunger, come to Jesus and he will fill you. Maybe you're here today and you're hungering for meaning. Maybe you're hungering for satisfaction. Maybe you're hungering for purpose. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of your, your rope and you just hunger for more. Come to Jesus and he will fill you. Some of you have spent years hungering. We all know what this feels like. It's like, man, I think I need this job to be happy. You get the job. It didn't work. 
Okay, I need this relationship now to be happy. I have the job, I'm gonna add the relationship. And you're like, no, that didn't work either. So we have the job, we have the relationship. So I just need more money. So we, then we, get, we get the money and we go from thing to thing to thing. I need the apartment. And we bounce around, our hunger drives us all over town trying to figure out what will satisfy us. And we try it all and we're like, it worked for like two months. And then it crashed. And Jesus says, if that's you today, would you find your satisfaction in me? It's the only place that will fill you. Reminds me of what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So if we can translate this for our passage today, if I find in myself a desire, a hunger, which no bread of the world could satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made to eat another type of bread. I was made to feast on Christ himself. Secondly, for those of you today who do feel overwhelmed and under-resourced, oh, there's so much hope for you today. Would you bring what you have to God? Would you be willing today just to be honest with him and open-handed and say, God, here is what I have. Here's, uh, here's how stressed out I am. Here's how at the end of the rope I am. Here are all my needs. Yeah, it looks like five loaves and two fish. It looks like the worship leader against Derrick Henry. It looks like the widow's might next to the Pharisee's check. It's not much, Jesus, but here's what I got. And the beauty of the gospel is what he's gonna do is he's gonna open, he's gonna open his arms, he's gonna embrace you as a father, he's gonna take what you have and he is going to bless it and he is going to use it, he is going to redeem it, he is gonna restore it and then he's gonna send you out in the world a satisfied person, not because of what you have or what you've done but because of what he has given you in Christ, the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you with five loaves and two fish. We come to you today in our weakness, and in our weakness, Jesus, we want to see your strength and your power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.